everybody, and welcome to twig number 60. Today we'll be covering five articles. The first is Bunch scores 3.8 million to turn mobile games into video chat LAN parties by TechCrunch. The second is Wildlife, Brazilian mobile gaming unicorn valued at $1.3 billion by Benchmark from Brazil Journal. The third is CD Projekt Red ending Gwent console support to focus on PC. And Mobile Elder Scrolls Legend is officially dead. The fourth is Microsoft is still planning a cheaper, diskless, next-gen Xbox by Kotaku. And finally, we will end with Minecraft Earth in soft launch. Today on the podcast, we have a full house, including myself, Joe Kim, Eric Kress, and Adam Telfer is back from paternity leave. Welcome back, Adam. In addition, we also have two very special guests from the new mobile games video chat startup, Bunch, CEO Selchuk Atley and head of BD, Greg Essig. Welcome, guys. Hey there. Thanks, Thanks for having hey. us. I thought we could first start with maybe some brief intros from both of you guys. Uh, sure. Greg, do you want to start and I'll follow? Sure. Um, uh, so I've been in the industry about 14 years. Uh, I actually started my career as a talent agent assistant at Creative Artist Agency uh, back in sort of the, the console distribution days. In late 2010, I went to Apple, got on sort of the direct distribution train and was the game's lead at the App Store uh, on the business team there. And it was a wild ride. Uh, I was there when sort of IEPs were announced. So like when I joined, it was still just free and paid. <laughs> and, and we allowed in-app purchases during my tenure. The, the iPad was launched during my tenure. And it's probably still the best revenue per employee ratio uh, I can ever imagine in my career. And then since Apple, I've worked for a variety of sort of startups. Uh, I worked with you, uh, Joe, at, the, at Fun Plus, uh, <laughs> right after Apple. And then I went on to a video game uh, live streaming startup called Mob Crush, where we were attempting to make it super easy to stream from mobile devices. I explored the esports space after that, and I became an entrepreneur in residence at BitCraft Esports Ventures, which was founded by the founder of ESL after he exited. Um, and did a couple seed investments and, and, and advisory roles there. Um, and that's actually through sort of those networks is how I got connected to Bunch. Um, one of Bunch's early investors reached out to me when there was a, a, a little bit of an issue. I helped them clear up an issue and, and Celtic and I just did it off kind of instantly. And um, I was lucky enough to join uh, the company as an advisor sort of early this year and then now come on board full time uh, starting in October. Yeah, and we're so excited to have him on board. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> sounds like a bit of a bromance. It is a bit of a bromance. <laughs> I'm, mo I'm moving across the country for this guy so, and his team. Yeah, li life is too short to work with people that you don't love. Yeah. You guys uh, wear the same glasses, too. We do. <laughs> you guys have the same look. That. You just need a beard. The other one needs a beard, though, and then you guys look exactly like you could be brothers. I think it's easier for me to shave than him. <laughs> <laughs> probably probably true my beard is pretty gross yeah it might be just a little <laughs> faster on my end i'm ceo of bunch i grew up in turkey in turkey when i was 12 years old i started the first online game magazine uh they're like the game spot of turkey at the time uh with my 12 year old co-founder and we had like 20 people that wrote for the magazine who didn't know that the bosses were 12 year olds so, so on the internet your editors could be 12 year old and you have no idea and essentially through that, we used to play a lot of video games with our friends and stuff, but that was my last romance with video game as a business before Bunch. Uh, after that, I studied computer science, was a Fulbright scholar, came to the US, 
moved to San Francisco, started my first company called Social Wire. Uh, we raised about five, six million dollars and sold the company to Rakuten. Uh, it was a company in the advertising technology space where we helped big online retailers automatically advertise their products in targeted ways. And then I started another company called Boostable, again in the advertising technology space. That was a Y Combinator company that helped sellers on online marketplaces push a button and buy ads. So that company got acquired by Metric. And then uh, I like to say I joined the dark side of the force and became a venture capitalist for a couple of years with 500 startups. Uh, so I invested in like a dozen startups. That so was a lot of fun. But then I got bored and I went to 500. I was like, hey, I have these ideas that I want to experiment with. I'm just going to head out. And they were like, don't go. Let's start a startup studio. So we started this thing called 500 Labs, uh, where we were experimenting on a number of consumer ideas. And at the time, I wanted to build our engineering operation in Toronto, even though I was based in San Francisco. Uh, I met my now co-founders, Jason and Jordan. Uh, we worked on a number of consumer startups uh, with them. Uh, a lot of them were in the messaging space and kind of peer-to-peer consumer apps. And one space that I was, having been a gamer growing up, one thing I was looking a lot is, was communication and messaging. I was fascinated by the fact that you could literally send your friend a GIF from a keyboard or a Spotify song that they could deep link into, uh, but not jump into the exact same game. Even though we have supercomputers in our pockets, it's so hard to play together. And uh, we were like, hey, messaging could be really designed around gaming uh, to make it more frictionless. And you could basically recapture the magic of a LAN party on video chat. So we basically built this really basic prototype uh, the app was called Game Room at the time, not Bunch. And you would, we literally built like a very simple video chat client where you could play multiplayer Flappy Bird on it. And then we got to the aha moment and we're like, this is really cool. We haven't seen anything on mobile like this. And we decided to kind of drop all the experimentation and double down on this particular idea. And how we got to support third party games. Because one of the key things about Bunch is that you party up on video chat and you deep link into the exact same game session while Bunch is on the background. And uh, we figured you could do that with games because one of the projects that we were experimenting with at the time was a calendar application that we we're building called Up Next. And one of the really fun features of it was that you could just see like a calendar invite and then deep link into Uber to automatically call an Uber for you. And we're like, oh, if you could do that through deep linking, why can't we deep link into a video game from a video chat client and then play right away? And here we are. Great. And uh, in terms of news and updates, do we have any other news and updates, guys, besides Adam becoming a new dad? And by the way, Adam, how's that going? Wait, hold on. My condolences. <laughs> condolences? Why? <laughs> oh, because oh, yeah, because you have a child now. And your oh. life is over. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. yeah. No. It's just... Actually, it's, it's, been, it's been all right. Besides losing sleep, as you can see from my eyes, <laughs> um, it's, it's been all right. And to be honest, still getting plenty of time to play some games. I don't know. Did you guys ever finish Fallen Order? Uh, I, I'm almost there. I'm halfway. I quit. You're halfway? You quit? Come on, JK. <laughs> Dude, the backtracking is killing me, though. The backtracking yeah. is absolutely killing me, but that's just not my thing. But Why I, do you I, need to backtrack? You have to backtrack through every level, right? Yeah. To get back to the goddamn ship, you know? Yeah, just, it's really nice. Yeah, right, you know, just 
port me back to the ship, dude. I swear to God, they added that shit just to add to add game time, yeah, right? Yeah. Because I think well, the game design without it would be like ten hours. It wasn't enough. I think so the worst the is the, the what is it the the surfing around the level half the time, <laughs> like even if they they fast traveled me like surfing all the way back to the ship, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. have been. But, but 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 normally in those games, well, I don't play those games very often. There's like a shortcut back to your ship, right? You don't have yeah. to go all the way back through the level. It's like, oh, that yeah. makes that makes me just yeah. It's there's no fast I, I travel. Yeah. I'm playing Let's Go Pikachu now. <laughs> nice. All right. Was that two years late? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, late, but it's still fun. But anyway, no, I did want to mention one thing. I don't know. Have you guys checked out Steam Link in a while? Have you guys used it at all? No. Oh. No, it's actually pretty impressive. Since the iOS 13 update, uh, you can actually pair your PS4 controllers, Xbox One controllers, Steam controllers yep. with iPad and iPhone. You can get these little clips for it. And I was actually really impressed with Wi-Fi. I was able to play Jedi Fallen Order in my house, 1080p, 60 frames per second, no noticeable lag. And I'm like, uh-huh. after after the, the wake of what happened to, with Stadia, I was kind of hungry for you know, taking some of these AAA games and playing them in my house like I would a Switch game. And I could. It was nice. It was actually really nice. I know, Eric, you hate it. Dude, but I- come on. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most, like, fucking asinine, like, you know, fringe case of use case. I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense. You're going to want, you want, you want to be on a, like a 70 inch plasma, you know, with like the speakers blaring, you know, like that's how you play video well, now games, that, dude. Now that my life is over, right? Now that all I've right, got a baby. Right. Yeah, yeah, you have right? to be stealth. I got to be it. stealth yeah. about it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> got, my, got my iPad and got my Steam controller and baby in one hand. I'm good to I, I, I'll tell you one story, though, baby story, before you start playing video games with, while you're taking care of your kid is that, and I'll make this as short <laughs> as possible. So Bioshock came out and I was like so into it. And my daughter was like, I don't know, eight months maybe. And I put her on the side of the bed and I'm playing Bioshock and I'm really, really into it. And all of a sudden I hear, thump, <laughs> and she just <laughs> fell off the bed all the way down to the floor and I was like freaking out. She's crying, crying, crying. And then the whole day she started and you can't see me. She started doing this Twitch thing. She's like, <laughs> like that. And I am freaking out, right? I am absolutely freaking out that I've completely you know, destroyed my child. And uh, so the next day I go to work and I'm calling my wife and I'm like, Hey, is everything okay with Natalie? Is she, is she okay? Like this, like the telltale heart beating in me that I have some destroyed this, my poor daughter. Right. And, uh, and she's like, why do you keep calling me? Like, this is so weird. Why do you keep calling me? And so I finally came clean that, that last night and she was so angry, but my daughter was fine. But what I'm trying to say is pay attention to your kid, put them in a bassinet, don't leave them on the bed because they fall off, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll remember that. Yeah, yeah remember that, life lesson. All right, so jumping into the first article, uh, Bunch scores 3.8 million to turn mobile games into video chat LAN parties. And so Bunch enables video chat for mobile games, uh, similar to Discord for mobile. And apparently Bunch is already supporting games like Brawl Stars and Roblox. And the recent round of financing of 3.8 million is led by strategics like Supercell, along with Riot, Miniclip, Tencent, Kalopal, and some other game developers on board. The previous seed round was led by London Venture Partners and joined by Founders Fund, Betaworks, and a bunch of other VCs. So very, very impressive. Currently, Bunch is available on iOS and Android. So according to the article, the company built the first prototype and raised a pre-seed round of 500K in 2018, launched the first public iOS version of the app in March of 2018, and launched Bunch on Android uh, this year in June. 
And as we discussed in the intro, we are joined here by CEO Selchuk Atli and head of BizDev Greg Essig. So guys, thanks again for joining us. It was great to get your intros as well. Since you're here, I thought it'd be great to ask you a few questions about Bunch. And I just wanted to actually start by asking you guys about sort of the origin story behind yeah. the, the service and not, you know, like the general sort of origin story around like, you know, how, how you guys were playing StarCraft, the LAN parties and stuff like that, but more like, you know, when, when did the first idea kind of happen, you know, wh yeah. whether it was like, you know, at a at the dining room table or when you were driving and, and then how did that first early prototype get together how did you guys actually get sort of off the ground yeah so similar to because some of this i kind of mentioned in the intro earlier but i'll kind of touch upon them again uh, yeah. so the origin story of bunch was essentially a startup studio that we started called 500 labs aka z1 Right. And if in the audience people don't know what a startup studio is, it's like a company whose aim is to build companies. Part of our kind of approach was like looking at communication products and messaging apps, like, hey, how can we create like unique messaging user experiences? Yeah. And uh, obviously we played StarCraft and stuff like that, but I'm not going to talk about that. I was fascinated by the fact that you could send a GIF or a Spotify song to your friend in messaging apps. But if you're sitting next to your friend, and you both have a smartphone, it's so hard to play together. You have to search for usernames and every game does it differently. And we were looking at like, why, why can't you like send the link to your friend and jump into a game together on a mobile phone? And a lot of the fun part of playing together is like yelling at each other while you play, like feel, having the feeling of sitting next to each other. We're like, hey, what if we could combine the persistence experience of a video chat UI uh, with that frictionless messaging experience to jump into games together? Right. And we built a quick prototype of like a video chat client where we could play multiplayer Flappy Bird. And we're like, this is really cool. And it's something that we haven't really seen on mobile. But one thing that convinced me to turn this project into the company that we were focusing on was a house party that I went to in San Francisco. So we started the company out of San Francisco. And in, having been like a Silicon Valley founder, one of the things you go to is you go to parties and show each other what you're working on. And I was showing my friend like the first client that we built where I was showing like playing a live game together. But then we started airdropping deep links to our friends at the party. Yeah. Like even people that we didn't know and people basically started jumping in the game right away and playing with us. And in two minutes, eight people were like playing together at the party and everybody else was like, is that a cult? Like what's going on over there? And that kind of gave me the insight that like, if you really, really truly reduced friction to play, kind of let them play next to each other whenever they are, there's like something magical that happens. Eventually we figured out that it is something that a lot of developers that we ended up working with really want uh, besides the consumers and here we are. And Selchuk, for some of us like myself, we suck at fundraising. Can you tell us what the process looked like for you? Given that you've got experience on the venture side as well, was the process pretty easy? It's easier uh, over time, but definitely not easy. So I think it's like the hardest when you're starting your first company because you're like, hi, I'm from Turkey. I don't know anyone. Give me money, please. You know, you somehow persevere and make it work. And uh, when I started the company this time around, I would say we put together the funding from like investors that I've worked with before. But I have to say a lot of the people in the gaming industry that I was talking to thought that we basically were pursuing an aimless idea when we started. And I think that's good. Right. So I think for any startup to work, I think timing is one of the most important things. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to be too early or too late. 
you want to be early enough. Right. I think that w that was the case for us because when we started the company, everyone that I would talk to in the gaming industry uh, was like, well, this idea is stupid because people don't play live games on their phone. Uh, and that's like pre-Fortnite, pre-PUBG. So I would say we're like six to eight months before that stuff. Right. Uh, but we basically, there were still Supercell games like Clash Royale and mobile, but that was it was not known that like the younger gamers would choose mobile as their preferred device, uh, as like a social experience with their friends. So it was kind of challenging. So the folks that we raised that initial capital from were like one, angel investors that really knew me and us and that we would figure it out. So like people who would back the founder yeah. for the idea. And I would say a significant part of them were like people who understood what's happening in Asia, right? For example, our first angel investor was Alex Hardigan, uh, who used to run Steamboat Ventures in China for like Disney's fund and was on the board of YY. So you really understood China. Yeah. And he worked with me before. So he basically immediately came through because a lot of what we started doing in the Western markets was already happening in Asia. But obviously it was not, it was not like a sure thing that it would happen in the Western markets. Yeah. We figured it would happen. So like, for example, Edith uh, from like 500s Mobile Collective, who is strongly tied to like the China market and stuff like that. So those are a lot of our first investors who got it. And I would say London Venture Partners who came in in the following round, I would give a lot of credit to them too because they see the ideas industry fit potential right. uh, before a lot of other people did. Great. And then does supporting bunch require an SDK integration? And then how did you guys, because you guys have support mm -hmm. from like Roblox and the Supercell yeah. games, how did you convince them to support bunch? Uh, so it doesn't require an SDK, but we have a super awesome SDK coming in early next okay. year. Uh, that's optional and makes it so much better. So at the basic level, I would say it doesn't require much of an integration, right? So it's kind of like Discord, but a lot more frictionless, right? Mm -hmm. So you can basically, if you've used Bunch, you can start a game party on it, which we call these game pages. It's kind of like a game lounge where you can party up with your friends and then deep link into the exact same game session. So that game session is important because what really happens is when you launch the game, you don't want to have to go and search for your friends and add each other. Since you're on a mobile screen, you want the game to start right away. Yeah. So what a lot of those developers do is they support incoming deep links. So you, for example, on a lot of games, you may have noticed the way that you play with your friends as you start a game, it generates a code. Yeah. And then you manually share that code with your friend and your friend has to download or open the game figure out where to enter that code and like manually type that in. Maybe you mistyped it and then you type it again and it's like a lot of work. So what happens with deep linking is uh, we can communicate the context of that code to the game programmatically by sending it in the link as a parameter. So when the game gets us like, hey, Celtic wants to open Brawl Stars with party code ABC and Greg follows the game with the exact same party code, uh, Brawl Stars knows that we actually want to play together and we immediately show up in the game the moment that we open it and Bunch's party experience is really built around that. So when you basically hit that open game button, there is a deep link that is actually smart behind that button that drives us into the same game session. So it basically runs on the background while you play together and that's how we work with a lot of our partners and we, uh, another aspect of our partnership though is that we co-market the bunch experience to their players. Okay. So they have these game pages on bunch, similar to what you would call like a Twitter profile or a Facebook fan page. Yeah. They have a unique bunch link. A lot of what Greg is working on is close a partner with our partners to do 
uh, cool marketing campaigns and promotions inside and outside of their games. Yeah. Having said that, one thing we're going to be rolling out early this year that we and a lot of our partners are really excited about is this thing called the Bunch Party SDK that not only runs Bunch on the background, it runs the exact same Bunch client inside their games. So you can start the experience from inside the game or outside of the game and have the exact same social graph, the exact same experience. So, so let's say um, if, if you were playing the game and somebody invited you to a bunch match, mm -hmm. now you would have to go to the app store, download bunch and sort of, you know, that, that's not frictionless. And so what the party SDK does will allow you to go jump immediately with voice and video chat into that game session with your friends, have that magic moment and then do account creation. Okay. Yeah, and then you can connect your bunch account and continue to chat with your friends after the game. Because that's actually a lot of the value that we're bringing onto the table is a very tight experience that lets people not only chat while they play the game, but before and after as well, which is kind of like one of our main differences than like Discord as well. Like we love the TechCrunch article, but I wouldn't say I'm like a big fan of the title because <laughs> I definitely don't think that we're Discord for mobile. We're, I would say we're like more like Xbox Live for mobile. Since you can start the experience from the bunch client or inside the game, it's about your close group of your friends. Right, in terms of the user experience, I noticed from that TechCrunch article, the example with Flappy Bird, and you see like video profiles being overlaid yeah. on top of the game. Mm -hmm. And just thinking through the video uh, or the user experience, is that mm -hmm. how players will experience that? And if so, for yeah. some games, how do you figure out where do you put those profiles so it's not interfering with the, the mm -hmm. gameplay? Yeah, so one thing is it's not all about the video, like, right? Because we're not a video API or something like that. So we're basically a complete social experience that's designed to bring people back into the game in the most frictionless way possible yeah. and then communicate in real time. So that could be through voice, that could be through video. And a lot of users actually turn off the video, and that's cool. Copyright example that you've seen is using a more advanced version of our SDK that lets the game completely custom render the video however they want. You can do that grid, or you can even render it in a Unity environment where you can basically literally see my video chat head over my character running around. Standard implementation is the screenshot that you would see on the TechCrunch article that's on Armajet, which is there's a single video chat orb uh, running on top of the game, similar to you may have experienced this on Android with uh, Messenger chat heads. Well, there's like one floating widget. So yeah. it's like Messenger chat heads, but kind of with video chat, and it's uh, one, you can hide it away. Also, it switches to the person who's actively talking. So kind of like Google Hangouts. And with our SDK, we'll even let our developers cycle the video. Like, for example, if I'm shooting at Greg, maybe I should see him right now. All right? Okay. It's not just like him talking. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of how the video experience works. But again, that's completely customizable. And it depends on the game as well. Got it. Yeah. And so one last question for me is more having to do with, you know, because we're, we're talking about a mobile free-to-play environment and because like from a marketing and, and specifically user acquisition perspective, it's very expensive, right? That's like the, the theme mm -hmm. in user acquisition is acquiring users. And for mm -hmm. you guys, according to the article, there's no revenue mm -hmm. model as of yet. Could you speak mm -hmm. about, given that, and because, you know, App Store is an auction-based marketplace, like how are you guys, what, what's the plan to acquire users? Is it through word of mouth or are you guys going to plan on introducing a revenue model which you can then use yeah. to acquire users or what, what's the plan there? Uh, so it's a really good question. We definitely have ideas that we're confident about for okay. monetization, uh -huh. but uh, since this is a network effect business uh, right. where basically we're building a social graph of people's close friends and their favorite games, 
Uh, we care a lot more about uh, driving more network connectivity and integrations. So that's why we're monetizing as of yet. When it comes to how we plan to acquire users, um, that basically brings me to my earlier point that I made about like how bunches of win-win uh, for players and uh, developers themselves and us, right? So what we're really trying to build is essentially like a bunch network a la Star Alliance in the gaming industry. And that's why the significance of this investment round from a lot of the larger developers of multiplayer games is important because that's one way of us solving the chicken and egg problem. Yeah. Right. Um, and a lot of our distribution we expect is going to come from word of mouth, which we're already seeing pretty strongly. The other piece is going to be game side distribution. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're basically giving our developer partners uh, something free and very beneficial uh, to their networks. And we're already seeing very strong retention effects of making their games more frictionlessly social. So they're highly incentivized to drive traffic to our network. And the more traffic we have, the more virality we have. So that's essentially how we expect to get a lot of our users. So, and, and we're going to incentivize um, some, some users around referrals, et cetera, or, or limited time items. We're going to take some, some of the playbook of sort of free-to-play live operations and add it to mm -hmm. sort of our experience. And some specific example is we're working with Super Bit Machine on a custom skin uh, for guns in that game that the users can only get by mm -hmm. joining the game and completing a session through Bunch. Um, we're looking at referral bonuses of, of in-app currency with a couple titles, um, lots of stuff around there. Uh, trying yeah, to yeah. One of our organic. other partners, one of our other partners, for example, is looking to promote us in their new section and do takeovers and stuff like that. And obviously, yep. when we roll out the SDK, that's kind of a a very important feature that's highly magical for the players, but it's also user acquisition engine. Right, because you're basically giving people like the magical experience of hanging out with their friends while they're playing a mobile game, and they get to connect their bunch accounts if they like. So that's I would say the ultimate form of advertising is getting to experience the magic moment and hey, do you want to do this more? Okay, uh, Eric, Adam, you guys have questions? Well, I think everyone on this podcast knows where I'm going to go right right from the get go. <laughs> is like, uh, what is the long term monetization strategy you're trying to do? Monetize sure. the publisher, you're trying to monetize the user, you're trying to monetize both advertising, or is it yeah. just yeah, all of the above? Oh, I, I would say all of the above, but again, we look at monetization like we would look at growth hacking, right? It's about like we don't know which ideas are going to work before you really experiment with them. So we're going to try them all out, see what's basically returning the most bang for our buck, and we're going to double down on those. Like, but obviously some of what we're thinking about is basically letting players to basically get more specific about those ideas, right? Uh, we could basically monetize our players for micro expressions and premium features through IAPs or subscriptions, uh, which is again, like not very innovative. There's a lot of other players in the space that are doing that. Um, some other ways that we can monetize is like one aspect of bunch that's coming out soon that we're quite excited about is expanding beyond uh, the during like the party experience to like what people do to communicate with their friends before and after so what that means is they can basically group chat with their friends to start a game together or see what their friends are up to uh does that sound familiar like facebook newsfeed or snapchat discover tab uh, sponsored stories right so like a lot of the ads that we're going to be surfacing in there is essentially like both greg and i and the rest of our team are like big fans of native advertising uh, that like advertising units that feel and are more native to the overall experience of the product 
right? Because like one of the things that's awesome about AdWords is that you go to Google, you see search results and the AdWords are search results, right? Wouldn't it be awesome if you came to Bunch to see what your friends are up to and some of the things that you're seeing are promoted, uh, similar to like open graph sponsored stories and stuff back in the day. So that's some of our vision, but again, um, we think it's not that difficult to monetize once we're at scale and gain the network effects that we need to make this business successful. And when we're there, we're going to try a bunch of these things and see which one of them are the most effective. Yeah. And Discord, Discord does this on mobile, right? I mean, people use mm -hmm. Discord for the same purpose. Does it, how does your, or mm -hmm. how do you envision your product competing against something as? Yeah. So like I mentioned, we don't see our, Discord is definitely a competitor, but we don't see ourselves as mobile Discord. That's why I was reacting to the title. And when I said it, it was like, I was like, oh no, <laughs> that's not what we said. Um, because it's, I would say it's a targeting a different type of customer, uh, serving a different type of need fundamentally. Like I mentioned, Discord is, yes, they have a mobile client, but their mobile client is a pared down version of their desktop client. So I would argue that their mobile client and their desktop client are like very similar to design. Even though I would say the dominant users of mobile gamers like Brawl Stars and Clash Royale and others are more on the casual side, right? So they're not as hardcore as like a StarCraft gamer or like a League of Legends gamer. Um, and that's why since they're targeting the more hardcore gamer, philosophically, our, our understanding is that Discord users care more about the game that they wanna play than the people that they actually played with. It's not like Xbox Live. It's about basically connecting with servers and connecting with hundreds of gamers that you wouldn't really add them on Instagram or Facebook. We're more about, so what we're seeing is something different where a lot of younger gamers are looking at multiplayer games with their friends as a way to spend quality social time together, right? It's basically, they don't go out and play, they log on to Roblox and play. So that's the type of user that we're targeting. And if that's the type of user that you're targeting, the way that you're basically making your design decisions and marketing and everything else should be different and that's how we are different in terms of fundamental positioning which drives all of our other decision making i mean it's and, it seems to me that you might do you might be able to actually expand this beyond gaming right on different apps like mm -hmm. headspace or like you know like i guess social oriented apps mm -hmm. of which you want to find people that are sharing yep. you know similar interests and stuff so mm -hmm. that could be interesting as well because you know games yeah. are super hardcore interesting vertical but there are other verticals out there that are used on a regular basis i, I definitely think that is an interesting point and uh, I, i'm glad that you brought that up because like if you take a step back and like look at what we're really trying to do is that bunch is a real-time social network that's what we are right when you look at a lot of popular social networks today it's like uh facebook instagram whatsapp snapchat they're mostly asynchronous experiences, right? You do something, two days later, your friend does something and you communicate like this. Our fundamental philosophy is that we're about having real-time experiences that creates memories with your friends. That's what we're really doing. And we think the killer application for doing that is playing video games, just like the killer application of an asynchronous social network was college students wanting to check who's single. Who's hot right. and who's yeah, not. Exactly. <laughs> I was trying to be more PC with my statement, but yes. Um, I'll be done PC for you. And, and I'll add, we're seeing data to support this. Yeah. Um, so like our internal retention is directly correlated to the amount of friends you add. 
um, we see a 1.3x increase with every friend you have until about six friends. And then there's obviously diminishing returns, but that's, you know, that graph is sort of like directly correlative to what you see in the social space. Yeah, and the retention goes nuts when you have like only five, six friends, which basically is similar to like an Xbox Live like experience where you don't need a hundred friends to get value out of it. Can I, uh, can I give you one piece of unsolicited advice? Yes, please. We collect, love this. collect more information on your user base. I just did your login process and you're, you're going to run into the same problem that Snapchat did where <clears throat> they have a million gazillion users but no information about them. So just, just one piece of advice. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a really interesting point that you brought up, which, uh, and again, I'm really glad you brought that up because one of our priorities in Q1, I would say, is to not only bring the bunch of experience into the games, is to bring your game data into bunch. So you'll basically see a lot more ways for you to browse your friends' profiles and see what your friends are up to. And that means that like, what are your Brawl Stars trophies and what are, are your Clash Royale clans and stuff like that. So uh, we want Bunch to be like a repository of your game information that creates conversation and game activity. And that's definitely where the product is going. Cool. All right, moving on to the next article, which is titled Wildlife, Brazilian Mobile Gaming Unicorn Valued at $1.3 billion by Benchmark. And this is from the Brazil Journal. But uh, talking about this other company that's recently raised a little bit of money. So Sao Paulo, Brazil-based Wildlife Studios, which is famous for Sniper 3D and Tennis Clash, raised $60 million at a whopping $1.3 billion valuation, uh, again, led by Benchmark. And for those not familiar with Silicon Valley VCs, Benchmark is certainly considered one of the best. And Wildlife itself has generated over 2 billion downloads over its nine-year lifetime. And the article, just to give relative scale for the audience, uh, compares that to TikTok, which has um, generated about 1.5 billion downloads. So 2 billion is uh, certainly quite a lot in the company was started by two brothers, Victor and Arthur Lazarte, with all of $100 in startup capital. So this certainly makes other guys trying to start game studios with like $200, like myself, look very lame in comparison. Uh, anyway, my own quick take on this is that, uh, you know, well, uh, it, the article mentioned this was the highest valuation ever for Benchmark as a first investment. And by valuation, this instantly made Wildlife Brazil's most valuable company. So Really great for those guys, good for the game industry, great for LATAM and for Brazil. And it's, I, I think the, the question that most people are going to be asking then is about the valuation because it does seem really high. Is wildlife worth four to five rovios, for example? Um, and just, just for our audience, we do have a few emails out to wildlife now, so hopefully we can get them on a future podcast as well. Eric, what's your take? You know, there's a lot of irony here because like, Two or three weeks ago, <clears throat> a good friend of mine was asked me and said, "Hey, man, these guys at Wildlife are asking me to come and join them in like, both you know, Brazil somewhere. I don't know where, but uh, and I'm like, dude, I don't even, I've never even heard of this company, Wildlife. <laughs> and like two weeks later, they're raising insane amounts of money on insane amounts of valuation. So I actually had to look them up a little bit. And so when I first looked them up, if anybody has used App Annie or Sensor Tower, I always sort by gaming only." And when I looked it up, it was like 40 million in trailing 12 month revenue. And I'm like, what is going on? How is this worth $1.3 billion? But what I didn't know is they have a gazillion apps that are outside of gaming, which then when you look at it, it, it makes a little bit more sense. I would say that 
I wouldn't be comfortable investing, but that's just me because I'm super conservative with this stuff. But they basically kind of are like a hundred million dollars in last year, kind of gross this up with their advertising because they have so many, so much big user base. So maybe it's like 350, 400 million. So we're like talking three times revenue valuation. I, I get that. All right. That makes sense. Um, if you look at it from that perspective, but still, this seems like more... The further we go, the more, sorry, the further down this like absolutely massive increase in the stock market, um, it seems like we're going back to the dot-com days where we're basically valuing based on number of users instead of actual revenue. Uh, no offense to the previous uh, <laughs> uh, people were talking about your, your service. But um, so it's like a super casual game with like really four games that make money. Um, but I guess, and none of them really are strong enough for a real UA um, and Tennis Clash is a great copy of, of Golf Clash, um, which I have played for a while. Um, but for me, I, this is like almost the opposite of the strategy that I would be invested in. And most of, most of the companies that have been acquired over the last like four or five years have been companies that um, have been able to monetize pretty, pretty well, like have high LTV games. Um, but, you know, their portfolio is like reasonably high production. Um, and, you know, their advertising business, I bet, is pretty much of a boon for them as well but I don't imagine it to be as significant as the in-app purchases, but maybe I'm wrong on that. But again, benchmark is not dumb. They must be seeing something here that maybe I do not. Uh, but uh, I'm just curious out there uh, if anybody else knows much about this company or was this even on anybody's radar over the last couple of years? Cause it certainly wasn't on mine. And I think it was on, on Greg's radar. <laughs> yeah. The only, <laughs> the only time I had seen it was uh, tennis flash was briefly charting in the U S and, yeah. and then Zuba yeah. got a huge feature um and because i i can't stop i i check all the featured games still even though i haven't worked for apple in over <laughs> five years um so uh you know i downloaded and played zuba and i was like well this is you know pretty good quality and then when tennis clash was charting um yeah that, that's how they got on my radar but i had never heard of them prior to uh, those games yeah i, I mean but... one one thing i could add to that though i think that what what's interesting is this seems to align with a lot of our conversations with like folks like andreessen and others like I've had a number of conversations with like, for example, Andrew Chen about yeah. this. Like yeah, there, yeah. there was a period of time, which is like very long that uh, having been on the other side of the table as well, like gaming and venture capital had a stigma, right? Because a lot of the VCs would go like, uh, like games is a hit business. People play a game and then throw it away and they never play and you have to come up with another really good game. And I think a lot of that is really changing in the eyes of like tier A investors like Anderson Horowitz because their thesis is that especially multiplayer games now have network effects, right? So right. it's just not different than investing in a social network, which basically is how they value like the revenue potential and stuff of these things similar to that. No, no. And, and, and I totally get mm -hmm. that. And I'm actually almost hundred percent on board <clears throat> with Andreessen's like view of the world. Mm -hmm. the, the challenge here is that like when you're dealing with casual games that aren't monetizing well, you may have a stable audience, but if you're not making money from them, it's like, it's not, there's no value there. Right. It's kind of my thinking, but like, mm -hmm. and then again, games like, uh, you know, the small giant guys, you know, the two Zynga acquisitions, like those guys mm -hmm. don't have a big network, but they are making insane amounts of money per user. Um, but I, again, I agree. You're, you're building a social network around these games and perhaps there's lots of cross 
pollinization and stuff. But this is this is why Zynga failed, right? Ultimately, when with the with the uh, Facebook gaming stuff, is because they had these massive audiences, but they couldn't monetize for shit, you know. And uh, every game they released did worse than the last, right? And so they they end up failing. So this feels again uh, to me, it feels a little bit frothy. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think. I have a feeling that Andreessen probably would not have put money into this. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, right? But I mean, I talked to those guys a little bit. But I think the Zynga case is a little different, though, right? Because I think one of the cha- difficult things about Zynga's situation is that they were completely reliant on a social network, in this case, Facebook, where their games were running on. A lot of these new age game social networks are their own social networks, right? Because they they don't really rely on any single party that has their fate in their hands. Similar to, and that's why, like, I would say a lot of new social yeah, networks, but, like WhatsApp and Instagram, were successful despite this. Yeah, but the, don't 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 make the mistake of doing revisionist history, because remember when they were mm-hmm. doing that deal with Facebook, they had like carte blanche, right? They were the ones yeah. they had mm-hmm. all the advantages on the planet with that company. They were basically, mm-hmm. you know, the most premier service on on that platform, which sure. actually they helped build that platform. So I, I understand what you're saying is that there's more value in having your own plat uh, social network versus having being part of someone else's but they mm-hmm. but they were like the premier developer for sure and Selchuk, maybe i could ask you a question because um you know it, it seems like some of these vcs to some degree you know i i would argue that uh valuation may not even matter because they've got liquidation preferences and if you're strategically thinking as a as an investor you want to get into games and you want to just for a marketing purpose say yeah we invested in mm-hmm. wildlife or we invested in some of these bigger names like to some degree, do you, would you agree that valuation in that case doesn't matter as much? I think valuation doesn't matter as much because like businesses with very strong network effects, all our social networks, are winner takes all markets, right? So it, it doesn't matter. Probably the way that they're looking at it is it doesn't matter to them as much if they had 5% less or more of the business. As long as if like they're gonna bet on the winner and they're just gonna take the majority of the market, probably that's like the type of thinking. <laughs> oh god, here we go again, dude. This is like <laughs> dot com all over again, man. I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> oh my god, I'm going down a big rabbit hole. <laughs> and are we really comparing wildlife as a social network, right? Like, like I know paint, that's paint, the thing. Paint, paint, paint by number app, right? That's yeah, like one of the no, big ones. And, so, and Tennis Clash is not a social network. No, and, and it will and, never be. <laughs> right. And so when I, when I talk to Andreessen, uh, like uh, that's how to, Andreessen is thinking about it, right? No, 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 no. I don't. I don't think so. I I think Bunch makes a lot more sense from building out a social network around like mm-hmm. like key interests and key like like mm-hmm. you know excited communities because you can build something in, in, insanely uh, sticky with that kind of thing. But when you're talking mm-hmm. about this bullshit casual tennis clash which is a copy of golf clash like how long is that going to be maintained right how long can you main like fuel yeah. that like that network right with this bullshit right no but it's i and did come out with something talking about games as a social network or something like that no right? no no yeah, it's i mean fun, it's so, fine but these games are not a social network right yeah they're, they're, you're not, you're not yeah. gonna you're not gonna leverage tennis I'm, I'm not saying whether it's yeah right. i, I, I haven't played it so i can't really say Okay. Zumba is a deeper social experience because it's it's sort of like a casual MOBA. But I would wait, agree with you on Tennis Clash. Tennis wait, Clash is pretty wait, Which which game is that? It's it's the, like battle royale with animals. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. come on. <laughs> what are we talking about? No way, dude. All right, I'll look at it. God damn it. It's anyway, it's like yeah. a, it's a top down game. So actually closer to like the original .io stuff that had. 
Oh, survive io this type of stuff but it's, oh my god this is oh come on so this actually is, what was it future play bullshit. future play has a similar one that they've got going around but like at, but at the end of the day these games just don't perform at the same level as fortnite and PUBG. so not let's, that, let's not, not conflate it to them. But, yeah. but but they might we don't know their we don't know their um sort of advertising revenue they could be. sure but they're not competing with fortnite on that no <laughs> no. no 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 oh make it stop dude come on this is ridiculous. Anyway, but like the fundamental strategies that I'm hearing from most, a lot of VCs is like, there's basically three prongs to this, right? There's like the social networks, there's a user generation of, of, of content, which, you know, is, is the Roblox type thing. And then this cross platform, ubiquitous all over the place gameplay, which we're going to debunk in a minute, right? On, on the next article. But like, like I get it. I got, I think that makes sense. I think those are the three areas that are the most interesting to help build, you know, lots of value. And I think bunch is a, is a good 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 investment in that perspective. But I don't know, and I don't see how these guys really have any of that. Really, right? They don't have like a stickiness to their content because anybody can replicate what they're doing. You know. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know much about these guys, so I'm gonna. I'm I mean, gonna mini clip is. I would say a lot of mini clip games are in the same genre, right? So that's the definition of midcore, hardcore, casual. Like mini clip was people, a mini clip was a network first, right? Like mini clip actually had a website with all the different flash games, moving players around. Sure. Like there was a network first. That's a terrible yes, business. Yes, but my, my point, yeah. my my point is people still play Agari.io, right? So there's they and we see that game being played a lot on bunch with friends as well. So just because yeah, but the game is more casual, doesn't make any money, right? <laughs> Agari, sure, that's a, that, that that's a different aspect of it, which I agree with yeah. you. But what I'm saying is. Just because a game isn't hardcore doesn't mean that it has high retention effects that people play with their friends over a long period of time. No, I agree. Yeah, you can have high retention in But if you're, yeah. again, if you're relying on any type of advertising mm -hmm. model to really like sure. grow and scale your business, I mean, that's just not gonna work, right? I mean, not, 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 for, not at scale, right? And not for a significant period of time. So anyway, I, I'm, mm -hmm. you know right. me, I'm just kind okay. of like, <laughs> I just don't like advertising all that much, to be honest. With you. All right, so we, we got some ad ad hater from uh, from Eric, but uh, should we move on to the next article? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's move forward. Uh, CD Projekt Red. Um, so they just announced that they're shutting down Gwent for consoles. Um, so if you're not aware, Gwent is actually a side mode from Witcher, the PC console game, um, and eventually it was actually spun off as its own game due to actually positive response for the side mode within it. Um, so it was just recently launched on mobile, um, just in, sorry, in October. Um, and as reported by Pocket Gamer, Gwent Mobile actually grew to make up 68% of CD Projekt, CD Projekt Red's revenue following the launch, which actually is completely untrue. Um, looking at their actual financial call, Gwent Mobile took 68% of the game's total revenue, not CD Projekt Red's overall revenue. Um, so actually just looking at the game's revenue console only made up about four percent so yeah it's it's no wonder the decision was <laughs> to shut down the console focus because yeah if we look at that 68 percent of mobile right even that doesn't really show that that strong of signs and i think this just kind of makes sense considering the actual genre and the gameplay style it's kind of weird that they launched on console first considering it's a trading card game um so while Fortnite, I think, makes a lot of sense to have on consoles and PCs, trading card games are just unlikely due to the recession-like kind of style of play. Um, but my, my takeaways on this, there's two of them. First one is that 
Gwent just does not look very material for CD Projekt Red. Um, so if you look at the last two months of, of it on mobile, we're looking at about 650K downloads, 450K revenue. So RPI of about 70 cents. Um, you comp to that to Hearthstone at about two months. That was 250 and it eventually grew to about six bucks. Um, so definitely trailing on the RPI side. And assuming that actually 68% of revenue is 450K, that's really only about 660K in two months. Um, so we're looking at like, if they say stabilize at this level, which is unlikely, they most likely just peaked um, in the last two, two months with the launch, uh, we're looking at a less than a $4 million a year business. So as Eric would say, this is mice nuts for CD Projekt Red's overall business, especially with cy uh, cyberpunk around the corner. Um, so yeah, CD Projekt Red is an interesting crossroads for sure, because they're definitely one of the last independent devs that focus on single player narrative. Um, although actually Witcher had a free to play MOBA back in 2015, which is kind of funny. Um, but anyways, Gwent is just an easy side business, but just not likely to push the company away from the core focus. Um, especially considering the, the, um, the actual performance and they are hinting at a multiplayer mode for cyberpunk, but, uh, it's very unclear to me how that would actually work. My second point though, is about just on TCGs on so trading card games on mobiles, just generally struggling, especially in the wake of auto chess, um, because, yeah, while Gwent is actually spiking due to their mobile release, Elder Scrolls Legends just been announced that it was sh being shut down completely across <laughs> all platforms. Um, Valve's artifact seems absolutely completely dead, not showing up on any metrics. And on top of the pile for, for TCGs, that's Hearthstone, doesn't seem to be getting any bump from their auto chess mode uh, added to the game. So even at the top of the pile, nothing's really moving. Um, auto chess is just where all these players seem to be going and engaging. And unfortunately that doesn't have many sort of like, that doesn't actually leave and pull those players into an effective monetization system around it. So for all that engagement, it actually doesn't look like anyone's going to get rich from that. So while Gwent may have spiked, I'm definitely doubtful for its long-term future in trading card games. Uh, Eric. Yeah, I, I'm no, I, I selected these articles just because I want to be, you know, kind of crystal clear on this is like, I, I really do think these are kind of the examples of copycats gone wrong. You know, it's kind of reminding me of the same situation that we saw with uh, Pokemon Go and, and Jurassic and, you know, the train wreck that is, uh, uh, what's your game again from Warner Brothers? I, it's a game that cannot be named, right? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I just don't think these games really ever had a chance. You know, I think... The audience for card-based battlers, I think, is very small, just in general. And I certainly don't think Witcher, in particular, has a big enough following to engage this audience. Elder Scrolls, maybe, to some degree. But again, that game was, like, released in 2011, right? So it's like, uh, you know, how, many, how much, like, current fans are there? I know people still play it and all that stuff. But anyway, um, so I just wanted to point it out. It's like, you can't just copy and paste an idea... And, and apply it to an IP, you know, without, um, without thinking about how broad that audience will appeal would be, or are you innovating in a way that's actually uh, interesting to, that, to the audience that loves these style of games? And I certainly don't think any of these games were really that, all that innovative from what my, anyway, from my perspective. Um, so 
what's interesting about, and I'm going to rip on CD Projekt a little bit here, is that like CD Projekt really only has two teams, like one that makes The Witcher or makes Cyberpunk, that team, the main team, and then this other team that may have done the MOBA, I'm not sure, but worked on Gwent. So they're a really small team. And so expectations around Cyberpunk are so strong right now that it seems like if I were to make a, 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 a bet, is like by the end of next year, after um, you know their game comes out, the Cyberpunk game, I, don't, I think the stock is going to be like half of probably where it's at right now because they just don't have the uh, the teams to keep that engaged and and their online gameplay is never going to happen right they just don't have that capability it took GTA like three or four years to get that stuff right um, and I don't think they have the deep pockets and deep teams that they have so that's just a side note so the main points I want to make here is that copying and pasting doesn't always work. And even though I keep saying that over and over again with Zynga and others, um, that doesn't work. The way it could have worked perhaps is if you get a license like Marvel or, or Star Wars or something and, and build something along in those worlds that has more of a broad appeal and that would be unique and you could innovate. That would be more interesting in my opinion. And the second issue is that this cross-platform play is not necessarily a recipe for success, right? Bringing it from PC to mobile to console, like these card-based games, you know, it makes sense for, for, for Hearthstone because it's a phenomenon, right? And it did really well on mobile. But bringing that to console doesn't make sense. And, and bringing these games, expanding beyond a platform that makes sense doesn't make sense either. So, again, you know, this is, a, I think, an example of cross-platform just doesn't make sense either. So, any thoughts here, Joe? Yeah, so for me, I just wanted to expound a little bit on that last point because the last two conferences that I attended, there was somebody talking about this whole notion about you know, the game being everywhere, kind of like the original Trip Hawkins notion that the browser is a platform that eventually the browser goes everywhere. And then you make a game once and then it just goes everywhere, whether it's console, PC, mobile. And that's, that notion, I think, got repopularized after Fortnite, but it's just not true. And we're seeing that here. And if you just think about it, like, you know, as, you know, uh, people that play Clash Royale on mobile, you'd, you wouldn't want to play that on a console, right? It just, that gameplay, the session time, all that stuff is different. And so that's the you know, only- I think you could play it on a Switch. Really? <laughs> With a controller? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It, it would, for me, it would be- There is, there is touch controls on Switch as well. I yeah, just they, don't think you'd be nearly as successful at the end of the day, right? Sure. <laughs> Yeah. That's that, like, like it, would, it would be less than four percent of the revenue. So then, it, it sure. definitely, <laughs> sure. <you know. laughs> so I, I just think that you know there. The, while I, I think that Fortnite was an exception, and that, and that there's a very specific reason that I think that a lot of people play Fortnite and in a cross-play format. And we've talked about this before and why people do that, but it's you know, I, I think to generalize that is, is a bit of a mistake. So that, that's, a, that's the only point I wanted to make. Yeah, I, I'm not going to rant about this again, but I, I just think these things are all false, false positives. And you look at the percentage of the overall revenue on mobile for Fortnite, it's just not nearly as significant, right? Even, even on Fortnite, which is a phenomenon, right? Worldwide, you know? So whatever, moving on. Uh. So, I mean, the one thing I would just say here is, I, I think Gwent in particular, as somebody who played over 100 hours of Witcher, it's a on console. Uh, it's a pain in the ass to play Gwent or a style of game like that on console. It's actually quite fun to play with mouse and keyboard and even more fun with sort of touchscreen. But man, that with the, with the controller is just horrible. So like, mm -hmm. I think they're just, you know, to all of your points, I think they're just sort of like catering to the use case. I'm sure they saw user yeah. behavior. 
And there's probably very few people who wanted to play that that game on console because it really was a pain in the ass even in the main game. Uh, that's um, the whole yeah. point, though. That the whole point is that you optimize against the platform in which the game is being made for. You don't optimize against mm -hmm. like all these different control schemes. That's why. That's why MOBAs yeah. will never work on mobile. Everybody, come on. Let's let's all say it in unison. Well, <laughs> I, I, or or, or, or uh, action RPGs are never going to freaking work on mobile, right? It just doesn't work. Except China. <laughs> Except China. Yeah, where, where their, yeah, their tolerance for more complicated control schemes are higher. That's fine. Right. And exactly. People don't it's have different. PCs at home. And yeah. do, you, do, you, do you guys think that's going to change generationally? I mean, I see a little bit of generational change, but it's all just sort of like my and, perception. And, and MOBAs are, rel you know, somewhat successful. They're, they're in top 150 grossing in, in, in the West. But yeah, definitely not to the same scale as in China. Oh, get the fuck yeah. out of here. MOBAs? Which MOBA? Uh, uh, Mobile Legends or, bang, bang, or one bang, of the larger yeah, ones. That's, that's no. Top 150 oh, people. Yeah, that's, no, come on. That's only because the Chinese people are playing out here, not because <laughs> they're actually Americans that are playing this shit, dude. Come on. <laughs> All right. Enough of being saucy. Okay, next one. Uh, I, yeah, Microsoft is still planning a cheaper, diskless, next-gen Xbox. Um, so this basic article talks about how Scarlet, you know, the new version of the Xbox, um, uh, and it is is already been announced and kind of like illustrated SSD, you know, 4K, et cetera, et cetera. But that also there's a there was a Lockhart, uh, you know, uh, there was kind of like rumors about Lockhart, which would be a lower version, uh, lower performance version of the platform. But what they actually determine, and we don't know if this actually changed over time or not, is that this could be um, the digital only SKU for the new platform. Um, and, you know, the article kind of claims that Sony and Microsoft were terrified by Google's entry in the video game space. So they were kind of like scrambling to find other SKUs to, you know, compete against that. First, personally, I've talked to a lot of people at both companies. And I, they were never, ever terrified of Google. <laughs> I mean, they, I, I think everyone in the industry knew that Stadia was going to flop from almost the get-go. But whatever, we'll see. Um, but what I, what I think, though, is that what, what they originally planned was that, the, I think anyway, but I'm not 100% sure, is that they would have a secondary SKU that would be a streaming-only platform, right? That would actually compete against Google. And so maybe it, Google did push them to some degree to create um, uh, um, a specific SKU for streaming-only. But because of Stadia's ultimate fail, right, and, 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 the, and the negativity going into the launch of this thing, I think Microsoft just put xCloud on a complete back burner, right? And all they're doing is focusing on what they should focus on, in my opinion, is, you know, their, their core gaming platform um, and, and managing their subscriptions to help reinforce the, the value proposition of, of what their platform is. So anyway, so they, they may do this streaming skew, Later on down the line, I'm not sure, but I don't think they need to in, in this case. Um, I do think that they will likely launch with, sorry, not launch, but I think they will have two SKUs, one with discs and one without. But I don't think the discless version will be out until year two because I don't, want, I don't think they want to compete against their um, uh, retail partners, uh, particularly initially at launch because you know, every unit they get out in the channel is going to be sold through during the first year anyway. So there's no point in trying to compete with the discless SKU. Um, but I guess, uh, what I, 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 the reason I really kind of want to bring this up is to get thinking about from my own perspective about, you know, how the model may change for these new consoles. When you think about a digital only platform, then you get, think about models like, uh, iPhones, um, 
you know, and, and other phones in which you're basically playing the subscription. So you're eliminating the upfront costs and just getting people into your ecosystem through discounted subscriptions. And Microsoft in particular is definitely going down this line. So if, if, you, if you really want, you know, the cheapest option, uh, similar to what, you know, the iPhones do, and et cetera, is that you can go for the subscription. Sony will likely consider, continually be in the old school of doing it their own way, uh, where they're just going to sell this box for four or $500 and sell software. But Microsoft may have a lower cost alternative for a broader audience. So I thought that was like the most interesting part of this whole thing is that digital only SKU gives them a lot, gives them lots of flexibility in terms of discounting. Uh, you know, and then also uh, with their all subscription model, it's going to be a real interesting cycle to see how that changes for consoles, how it changes the, the console landscape. Do you think that like Microsoft's going to be aiming at all for like PC players that PC players will be playing their, their regular games on PC, then they'll buy this streaming box or this lightweight box on the side so then they can play all their Game Pass stuff from PC now on console as well. And then, then at least the Game Pass like goes across both of them. Yeah, the, 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 uh, okay. Uh, the second part, I believe, right, where you buy an XCOM Game Pass, you can play on PC and you play on console. But my, this, is, this is kind of my old school opinion is that like there's nothing easier than putting a box, connecting it to the TV and having a controller and it just works, right? And so when you start adding like streaming from this to this and that to this, like it just creates complexity. You know, Sony tried to do it with their device, which I can't even remember what it was, but yeah, it was, it was a train wreck, right? Absolute mm -hmm. train wreck. It didn't work at all. It was super laggy. It never was really took off. And I think they just basically cut that thing. Um, mm -hmm. But I think an overall subscription, an entertainment subscription is, 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 is definitely possible going forward, both on PC and TV and, and, and X cloud and whatever else. I think Microsoft's definitely kind of going that way, but I don't think I do think that you probably will still need some kind of device to hook up to the TV, even with xCloud. Yeah. I guess. No, I, just this generation seems weird with Microsoft going by this, you know, going with a lower price, trying to figure out how to use their subscription of Poland players. But I think still it's going to come down to exclusive content. Yeah. I think, I think early in the cycle, you're totally right. I think Sony definitely has a huge advantage uh, with what they have. I, I, I just would say that things are going to change pretty dramatically so that may, they may be kind of on their heels a little bit in the back half. I agree. But at least in the first part. So at why, least. why do you think they make up ground in the back half, Eric? I just think they're going to innovate and offer a lots of lower cost alternatives. And the majority of the games that people play are cross-platform. And, 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 you know, if you have a better a cost advantage, that's going to help broaden the audience. And potentially they could build out content that's actually more geared towards a mass market audience as opposed to all these core games that are primarily driving the market. So but that's maybe, a maybe a quick unscientific poll here. How, how many of you guys are going to buy the Xbox? No disc this one? <laughs> I'm I'll buy the I'll buy the disc. I'll buy I buy them all though. That does that's not, yeah, that doesn't count. Uh, like, like say, if, you, if you didn't buy them all, which one would you buy? Dude, I just bought my second Oculus, dude. I am like I am glutton for punishment <laughs> right now. Whoa. Did, did you, you got the, the you got the you got the Stadia too, didn't you? Of course I got the Stadia. Have, have you have you have you unboxed it yet? See, I did. I played it for five minutes. Hey, I'll, I'll be honest. I actually my experience with Destiny 2 was such a train wreck that I, I almost never went back. But then I actually played uh, uh, Laura Croft, uh, whatever, yeah, Tomb Raider. Raider. Yep. It was actually pretty good. I, yeah. I, 
that game is actually really good. I, yeah. I forgot how good that game is. But, but I, could uh, give you, I could give you a copy for 15 bucks for PlayStation 4, right? Like, yeah, it's well, a cool the, game. <laughs> well, the, the irony is the fact that I forgot how good it was means how old is that freaking game? And that's like their premier title, you know? Yeah. Like, it, also, it also implies that you have bought it previously. So this was a second purchase. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> how many morons are going to buy it twice, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, anyway. But, but I'll, I'll definitely buy the PS5. Um, alongside my Switch and PC, but it, very unlikely that I buy the Xbox unless there's some amazing exclusive that I can't get. But oh, as soon as I already have a PS5 and already have a Switch and already have PC, what's why would I ever buy a fourth device? Exactly. I, I yeah, I keep telling my son, I'm like, look, we're going to be a Sony only platform in this household, but I know I'm going to fail on that because I just don't want him to think that you can just buy every console that comes out. You know, it's like sending the wrong message. Yeah, I mean, you need you know a saying? Nintendo, right? I mean. <laughs> I have a switch. Mm-hmm. I have a the switch. Old- they hate it. They fucking hate it. They don't like it. Why do what? they hate it? Because you play Fortnite on Switch. It's awful. It is okay, okay. It's terrible. So it's, it's not the destination for Fortnite. I'll give play you that NBA one. on Switch. No, no, it's not the destination for that. Get them, so get them saying, playing Splatoon kid, on Switch. But kids don't know what Mario is anymore. Yeah, I know. I'm aware. But I, I can <laughs> all shed a tear to that. Right? So all the only... Cons- oh, go ahead. Sorry. The only concern I have going Sony only is is sort of their um, you know precedent with crossplay. Like they kind of had to give in with Fortnite, but like you know that they don't like it. And and you know the only time I use Xbox is on these sort of like cross platform games. Yeah, it just seems like such a weak offering. Like it, it the, on, the only console that offers co- crossplay. Uh, Nah, it's just not enough of an offering, especially if it's against like an Uncharted, an exclusive game on Sony. Yeah. Well, and I think you brought it up earlier, Adam. Like, I have a Steam Link box uh, on my TV. So, like, on those sorts of games, I just play them from PC. Yep. And then in order 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 to play Fortnite competitively, in order to play any, you know, shooter competitively, you're never going to play it on TV. Yeah. Well, I also travel. I travel a lot, so I I do it sometimes from hotel rooms as well. I got a really strong connection at home. The problem is the hotel connection. Yeah. Okay, dude, do not throw out that use case in the hotel. That is ridiculous. <laughs> like, there, I, I think, I've only been in like maybe two hotels in my entire life that had a bandwidth that was willing and able to do that, right? And that was yeah, like it, one was like struggle. in Korea. You know, come on. All right, should we it, move it on? It is a struggle. Last article, Adam. Yeah, okay, so Minecraft Earth in soft launch. So actually just repeating another Microsoft thing here. Um, So actually reported on before this podcast, Microsoft is working on Minecraft Earth. It's a Pokemon Go meets Minecraft. Um, Idea sounds actually pretty interesting on paper because if you take the Minecraft IP, um, it's actually almost larger than Pokemon by say Google Trends. So arguably it has a good shot at the market in terms of the size of the IP. Um, but in typical Microsoft fashion, the end result is actually much more of a tech demo than a product that anybody really, really wants. Um, so just looking at the app any numbers here, we're looking at 4.8 million downloads just during soft launch, which is very impressive um, for the restricted markets that they're in, but only 120,000 in revenue. So that's actually a two and a half cent RPI, um, which is pretty abysmal. Um, and then if you just look at the U.S., you're only looking at like a four cent RPI. Um, so yeah, it got a glut of downloads to begin with, but it's tapered very, very quickly in soft launch. Um, and they've soft launched in U.K. and U.S., which is arguably is actually their major tier one markets. So it's not as if it's going to change when they start shifting their geos. 
Um, likely that Microsoft isn't doing any UA on the team, so or on this, so that actually gives the team some time to think. Um, so it's actually looking yeah, like a pretty disastrous launch. Uh, RP, <laughs> I don't think you could do any UA. No, no. Well, it, you can actually read some articles here. Microsoft is reporting that they're taking the long view with this soft launch, which sure, um, improving over time like Minecraft did. Um, but at least on mobile, you don't have the same kind of ecosystem that you had originally with Minecraft. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of money to learn from this and get it to where it needs to go. Um, especially when we look how low these numbers are. Um, the game just really falls flat very, very early. So I, I took a look at the game and I played it. To be honest, I don't quite understand all aspects of it yet. Um, but my very early read is that generally they just don't have a very strong core loop. Um, Monetization is actually built solely around purchasing pre-built blocks, which seem to have some like adventures within them, but it's just not proper MTX design. It's like buying levels. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's like buying Lego, um, Lego areas that you can customize in rather than actually linking it to the core loop. And in terms of retention design, there really is no, there's nothing there. You get resources, you can craft more, but there's no goal setting. There's no, survival mode there's no adventures the adventures are actually pretty few and far between and actually only are, are located in very specific areas of the map so it's very very likely that this is performing worse than any of the other location-based games before it. um so yeah the er tech is actually pretty impressive especially as they showed on like the apple stage but it just doesn't feel like a game especially when comparing to Pokemon Go. Well, I mean, uh, the, the one thing that I would interject here is at least this is a real AR game because every time someone else... So, yeah, to... no, no. So say this is a location-based game, right? And then there's, there's AR components within it if you want to get specific. Right, but this is far more of an AR game than Pokemon Go. Yeah, would, no, would I agree. Pokemon uh, Go would... is a location-based game where you yeah. run around to yeah. locations. Yeah, I had some guy at some party last this weekend try to convince me that Pokemon Go was an AR game. And I'm like, no. come on, just stop. Okay, Real players turn off the AR mode. I, I, yeah. I know, like the core yeah. guys because they need to save their battery life because they have like ten oh. batteries in their pockets. Right? Yeah, because yeah. the and then yeah, you're running location while you're running the game, so your battery's draining even faster. So yeah, no doubt. Anyways, yeah, no, you're completely right. That this should be all these games should be classified as location-based games, just having these AR modes and and uh, uh, Minecraft Earth has the best AR mode. Uh, however, you'll only do it you know, that one time to show off to your friends and then that's about it. And the rest of the game just falls flat. Um, so again, this brings up the question about this like location-based gaming market. Is it actually just limited to the success of Pokemon Go? Um, just continually all these launches that we've seen just do not seem to be hitting the same level. Um, the only bright spot actually seems to be this new game out of Japan, which is called Dragon Age Walk. I think um, it's, is Dragon, it's Dragon Quest, not Dragon Age. Sorry, yeah, Dragon Quest Walk, yep. Yeah. Um, which just in Japan, I, I, I still don't even know if I believe these numbers, but it's currently <laughs> number two grossing globally, even though it's in soft launch only in Japan. And App Annie is reporting 160 million in revenue on 2 million downloads. So an $80 RPI, which is astronomical. Dude, Japanese people are insane about mobile. <laughs> I mean, come on, let's just yeah. like call a spade a spade, dude. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 80 bucks. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, this game is over the top. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. My, my quick read on the gameplay, just from videos, because you can't actually play it, is that it actually has a real core loop, right? Like, it actually has an RPG core loop where you collect things, you upgrade things, and you're trying to, to be the best in the world, right? Like, 
as a proper CCRPG loop. And unlike Minecraft, they actually have potential for a far deeper economy. And you can see it with this RPI. So Microsoft, <laughs> play Dragon Quest Walk. Look at what a real core loop looks like and fix it, fix your economy. Uh, Eric, I'll pass it off to you. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, this is exactly what I've been talking about. It's like you have to align the IP with the with the mechanic that makes money, right? And so collection upgrade Evo is exactly what this IP does, you know, and, and it's a huge IP in Japan. And frankly, I don't think it's going to translate much more than that outside of Japan. But when you're making $80 per download, I mean, Jesus, I mean, it's insane, right? And so I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they do with Minecraft. And I think you've actually made a good point is that Minecraft may be just an expense, sorry, Minecraft mobile may be just an extension of the brand to, you know, improve, you know, visibility and keep it relevant and keep players playing. But I mean, it just seems like a huge missed opportunity to try to build something that engages the audience because a big challenge is like all the audience goes away because there's no compelling reason to keep going, right? There's no collection. There's no, you know, uh, I don't know, reason to, 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 to keep doing anything in that game, um, similar to what's going on with your Harry Potter game. Um, so... What? I, I, I sorry, I didn't hear that. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, another brand. But what I would say, like, if you look at something like uh, more of a core brand, like you know, like Marvel or something, like maybe that makes more sense to build, like you know, an upgrade Evo collection type mechanic or you know, IPs like that, you know, that that can you know have a broad appeal that are uh, also interesting from that perspective. But Minecraft has that like survival loop, adventure loop. And if you, if you play some of those games, like they have small elements of it. So it's not as if they couldn't add an RPG element to this game or, or lean more into the survival stuff. It's just they didn't. They just focused or, on the yeah. customization and, and a system that flat out didn't work. And this may go against like the core tenets of the IP itself, but you also could have uh, pay to win core PvP type mechanics in the game right as an opt-in right where you're building up your character and competing against others for rankings or prestige or whatever right there's all kinds of stuff you could do um you just i don't know i'm not a developer but like i think that'd be really really interesting right to see if that's something like that could work and that that could create loops that would be hugely you know like people would invest in tons of money in to be competitive you know yeah. I mean, it sounds like um, from from what what I'm hearing, it's, it seems like the game is going to need a hard reset, or uh, or it'll probably fail. I I think the um, the thing that I worry about is just cultural culturally, from what I've seen at Microsoft, that um, a lot of the PMs there are more engineering and tech focused, and in fact, most of the uh, PMs that I've met at Microsoft are actually former engineers. And uh, in my experience, a lot of them don't have a good sense of like market comps, looking at the market, stuff like that. So I'm a little bit concerned that culturally, Microsoft may not be the right organization to make this game successful. But we'll see. Ho hopefully they do. So you know I'm a developer first, right? <laughs> <laughs> Throwing me right under the bus. Yeah, but I, that doesn't apply <laughs> to all people. But I'm just oh, saying okay, so general okay. trend, you, right? You've gone to the dark side long ago, man. You're no longer a developer, dude. You're a whore, dude. You're just a total <laughs> finance, like money-making machine, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Eric. That's a yes. nice compliment. For yeah, me. no. Yeah, I mean, veiled. I think it's success. It's all related to if they allow the third-party modders to sort of build out servers, just like um, sort of you know vanilla Minecraft. Because honestly, I I've watched a lot of people. I saw this at, at Mob Crush, and I saw it in sort of my social circles. I don't play Minecraft anymore, but 
everybody at a certain point seems to graduate from vanilla Minecraft into some third party server like Hypixel or NPVP or one of those big ones. And that's all Microsoft working with their community. And historically, they've been pretty bad at that. So I think, my, I think Minecraft AR will be, um, you know, a testament to do they understand that their community is building a real part of the value here? And are they going to let their community in on developing for this as a platform? Right. And, and their history is similar to um, Riot, where it's all based upon more cosmetic stuff, more or less, right? So that's the economy they built. And you can do that when you have a gazillion players playing all the time, right? But when you have a lower player base and not as much uh, consistency on player base, you need to expand your business model outside of that. And that's what I don't know how many times I'm going to say this on the podcast, but I think Adam and I are on the same page on this. It's just like, but they don't have any resources, I'm sure, up there that even think in this way. They're like, that's against the core tenets. Like, it was like the Riot guy coming on here and saying, oh, we're not going to make any money. We're not doing pay to win. You know, we're going to do all cosmetic I, I economies. <laughs> no, he said we're doing all cosmetic economies for our franchises, similar to, to uh, uh, you know, the, their main game. It's like, come on, right? That's just not the way the world works, you know? Am I right, Adam? Am I right? <laughs> You're partially right. Partially right. Now, having said that, I, I want to say something about Bunch really quickly now that I've actually kind of figured out what this is all about. You know, ironically, like Bunch is in a situation, and this is my opinion, I apologize ahead of time, is that like, you don't even need to make money, right? Like Twitch still doesn't make money. They lose hundreds of millions of year and they're like the biggest platform on the planet, right? It's like unbelievable, you know? And, and I, I don't know when YouTube actually became profitable, but I'm sure they are now, but it took them forever as well. But like these social networks, you're right. They're valued on a different kind of basis and, 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 and you're in good company, right? Discord makes no money, right? And they're getting valued in insane amounts of money. Uh, so, so anyway, it's, it's kind of a different calculus when it comes to this, but when you're actually making games that are going out to the market and you, <laughs> and you want to like maintain your audience, like you got to have compelling content that keeps people engaged in spending, right? Otherwise, it's just no, going to go nowhere, right? So anyway, that's yeah. my last point. All right, I think that's basically it. Unless there are any concluding remarks, I think that is a wrap for Twig60. Yes, thanks for coming out. Thank you guys so much for having us. All right, bye. Bye. Bye, thanks again. <laughs>